A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. If you are a parent of teenagers, have you struggled with their sleep schedule or usage of electronic device? I will continue the conversation with Dr. Fiona Baker, discussing how our sleep changes around the teenage age and what we all should know about it. I summarized some helpful sleep resources, and you can find them at deepintosleep.co slash resources. Let's welcome Dr. Baker. Hi, Dr. Baker. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. So we talk about um, mid-age, mid-life women's sleep. I do want to ask you more about um, teenagers' sleep. I know that's part of your research area, too. Because myself, I treat teenagers in my clinic, mostly for mood disorders. But I do notice teenagers overall have their own unique sleep challenges. But I never really distinguish like between female and male, right? Any gender difference. So I'm curious, do you find any gender difference about, among like teenager, this age group? Yeah, so we are doing a couple of studies where we are tracking teenagers and one part of behavior, one behavior that we look at is their sleep. As you know, teenagers and and anyone knows who has a teenager at home, there are massive changes in sleep that teenagers experience, where most typically we talk about the, the fact that their phase becomes delayed. So that means that they want to go to bed later. And that's like a normal biological factor that as they um, become older, then they will tend to go to bed later. Um, Of course, it does become a bit of a challenge when they have to get up to go to school in the mornings. So during weekdays, they are not able to sleep as long as their natural rhythm would want. Um, They have to get up for school. Um, And then you you can um, see this pattern sometimes happening where they will have to get up for school early, but they've gone to bed late. They don't get enough sleep. And then on the weekends, they do a, a recovery sleeping very long into the, you know, into the day, but then Monday morning have to wake up early for school. So you get this sort of seesawing effect um, that can be um, difficult for them to handle. On top of that, then trying to understand, well, first, how do we do better to help our teenagers get more sleep? You sort of have to be um, mindful of what time they're going to bed and to make sure that they're getting enough sleep. Like sadly, I think majority of teenagers are not getting the eight to 10 hours of sleep that's recommended. So it, it does require sort of pushing back that bedtime to get them to bed early enough. When we talk about are there differences in boys and girls and their sleep, the one factor that comes to mind and something that our lab is looking at is insomnia. So starting in those teenage years after puberty, girls become a lot more likely to suffer from insomnia than boys. So insomnia becomes more common in the the female sex starting in the teenage years. And and as we know, that is something that continues across the whole lifespan. So women are more likely to suffer from insomnia than men. They're also more likely to suffer from other disorders like depression, also starting in the teenage years. But even aside from that, insomnia stands out as being something more common 
in women. We, we've tried to understand why that is. It's a lot harder to understand why than to pick up that there is a difference. We suspect that there is something different about how women handle stress or, or react to stress. That could be one factor. Um, there's also always the, those hormonal changes sort of kickstart again after puberty, and that could have a, an impact on sleep regulation. A lot of unanswered questions of understanding why there is that gender difference. Right. Wow. I definitely can feel that sometimes um, I actually think parents are really struggles what they can do to help their teenagers to sleep better. Now you mentioned that I think back, I do notice sometimes some girls I've been treating, you know, on one hand, we, we do want them to go to bed earlier to get enough sleep. But on the other hand, they just cannot fall asleep for a lot of reasons. And then they stay on the phone. <laughs> they they do a lot of different things. They have ways to sit, stay up late. Then, of course, sleep is deprived and feel awful during the daytime and long nap during the day. I, I see that definitely very common among teenagers. And you bring up many things in that in that description that can be difficult for sleep then. For example, now, of course, the, the use of the phone, there's a lot of focus on screen time, especially pre-sleep, whether turning to the phone and social media and or playing video games, whatever it is right before bed, that is not a good thing to do for anybody right before they go to sleep. You know, anything that is activating that could be, you know, highly interactive with conversations on social media or playing games, turning that off and then expecting yourself to go to sleep in an instant is hoping too much for sleep. I like to think about sleep onset as a process. It's not just a switch. You need to get the body ready for sleep. And that really does involve some downtime. And downtime isn't on the phone, you know, chatting with friends or reading social media posts. It really is allowing your whole body to relax and unwind and to sort of not be thinking about what you have to do tomorrow and not be thinking about what you've, all those things that happened that day. It's trying to distract your mind and um, also just relaxing your body. Being too active before bed, um, it's just difficult to fall asleep. Then not getting enough sleep at night. Sometimes the strategy is to then have a nap a long nap during the day, but having a long nap during the day just makes it much harder to fall asleep the next night. So the actually the, the better option is to, most important is to just try and have a regular bedtime, a regular wake up time. And even if you've taken a long time to fall asleep, resist the temptation to nap the next day and rather go to bed at an earlier time and be tired and then fall, be able to fall asleep. And the second important strategy for sleep is, is not to lie in bed, you know, for, for more than 30 minutes, being wide awake and not able to fall asleep. Um, it would be better to get up and then do something relaxing. Um, so something where, you know, where there's dim light, something that's calming, and then return to the bed when you can feel sleepy. So I want to help some parents to ask this question since you talk about nap. It's so important, but I hear a lot of teenagers would go home after school and sleep, right? Crash basically for three or four hours and then wake up in the nighttime, start working on their homework. Will that be helpful if parents step in, right? Either not allow them to take nap at all or take a shorter nap. 
it should they may fight with parents. Is that worth the fight? <laughs> wow. Yeah, we know it's the teenagers are one of the more you know it's not not so easy to easy to figure out what's a simple solution, and um, you also have autonomy stepping in with they have independence and want to make their own choices and decisions. And that's a good thing. We want to encourage that. And at the same time, um, recognize that as parents, that they can be um, sort of helpful ways to just to support their teenager. It really is a better strategy not to be taking a three to four hour nap in the afternoon and rather, you know, staying awake until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and then sleeping. That isn't a healthy sleep pattern. It would be better. So if the teenager is exhausted, then having a short nap can just give a little boost, 20 minute nap, 30 minute nap enough boost to be able to do the homework. So that would be a better strategy and then be able to do the homework and allow some downtime. We don't want our teenagers only doing homework and sleep. They need time with friends, but helping teenagers with some time management and um, also for all of us, and I'd say this isn't only for teenagers, it's for everybody to recognize the importance of sleep, the value of sleep, and that it's not a waste of time, that it is actually a better strategy overall to allow sufficient time for sleep, you know, to go to sleep at a reasonable time and feel the benefits, you know, we just can function better during the day and be able to have more energy, better mood to do more things in the day. Right. If we all could prioritize our sleep, right, how wonderful that would be. And if teenagers can realize <laughs> sleep is important, uh, that would be great. But a lot of times they, they don't want to buy into that. They feel like they have a lot of energies. They have a lot of things to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's one of my roles. And, and anyone who is um, studying sleep or, or treating sleep disorders or involved in the sleep field is to try and get the message out there that sleep is important. And while in the short term, it may feel that you can live off very little sleep and it's okay, you can manage. Um, over the long term, sleep is important for so much, every system in our body, whether it's our mood, whether it's our brain function, you know, cognition, it's our humor, it's whether we do well at sports. Uh, sleep is, is serves a very vital role and it does need to be fitted in even with the busiest schedule. Right, right. So sometimes it's really our mindset, right, can guide our behaviors, our reactions, what we're going to do. And I do want to ask a little bit more about the um, electronic usage at night for teenagers. I know a lot of parents are trying to set up a charging station outside of the bedroom. Everyone's phone going to go there. But it's interesting. I remember I read Dr. Chris Winter's new book. He mentioned his son used to put this cover, like this shell of the phone uh, upside down to the charging station. So for a while, it's really, the parents did not know the real phone was in his room, only a cover was there. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, uh, teenagers, they either are gonna fight with you directly, aggressively about that, or they're gonna sneak it around, find their <laughs> own way, not losing their phone. <laughs> not easy being a parent and not easy being a teenager either. It's a good strategy if a family can set it up to have everybody's devices out of the bedroom. It is always tempting for anyone 
to you know check that last um, message or they maybe get a notification, especially disruptive as if they're is as, as if they're getting woken up during the night with messages and then that's waking them up and then they want to go read the message. Now that's that's a really you know really bad thing for sleep. But of course, even before bedtime, you know, being tempted to stay awake a little longer to use their whatever it's they're doing on their phone is very tempting. So having it out of the room would be a good strategy. And it's always easier to put those behaviors in place near the beginning, um, you know, not to try and make the change when everyone's got used to their phones in their bedroom. Just good to have the conversation with the teenager to try and um, have a buy-in for those types of behaviors. But definitely from a sleep perspective, just want to avoid just delaying the bedtime so much that you are only getting, you know, five, six hours of sleep a night. Great. Parents, right? If any parents are listening, possibly really should consider that and think about how to negotiate this with their teenagers and find out a way that works for your family. It's like uh, you have to tailor it to your own situation. That's right. I think it's it's a family conversation. Right, right. Yeah, I like what you mentioned earlier. The uh, the guideline for parents is learn how to be there for the teenagers, how to support their needs and how to support them to be healthier, sleep better. So yes, I, th- I think support is so important. And, and we've even, um, even in the context of the COVID pandemic, uh, we've done a number of studies where we've been examining factors that are important for children and teenagers and how they've sort of experienced the pandemic in terms of their mood. So in one of the studies, which is the ABCD study. It's a large study funded by NIH. So it's an adolescent behavior and cognitive development study. What we've looked at with them is in this this cohort that we've studied, we've looked to see how their sleep patterns, how their support, family support, um, how physical activity, various behaviors, how those have helped teenagers, they're mostly sort of ages 12, 13, 14, how they have um, felt during the pandemic. So we've looked at their depression, we've looked at also positive mood, and we see some of the factors that come out most strongly as predictors of um, first of positive mood is strong family support, parental support, good sleep habits, physical activity, And then when we look at, well, what's predicting some of the negative moods, such as depression, we see that, again, some of the sleep factors come out, so poorer sleep habits. Uh, Also, we see that girls have been more susceptible to depression symptoms in the context of the pandemic. Anybody who already had a pre-existing some sort of mood problems, they are have been more susceptible to depression and then less support from friends and family has been predictive. Again, it it just brings up the importance of multiple factors that are important for our children, even in the context of the pandemic. I want to say the, so this is in the ABCD study, which is the Adolescent Brain and Cognitive Development Study. Oh, great. Yeah, I think it's very important for us all to understand, right? Especially, uh, over the past two years during the pandemic, I think a lot of families and teenagers are struggling. What you just mentioned, I definitely see that in my own clinical observation too, for both parents and the teenagers. 
But right now, I think start hopefully getting better and better, and uh, hopefully we learn the lesson, and that could guide our life um, in the future. I hope so, and and it does also bring in the link or the importance of sleep for mood as well, where we did see that, um, yeah, better sleep habits, you know, getting enough sleep, um, good sleep timing. And um, not having difficulties with your sleep are predictors of better mood. So it it shows again the importance of sleep there. Well, that's great to know that direction. I know a lot of research are more like uh, association between these two, but you can really see a direction of prediction there. Of course, it goes both ways, as you would know too. Yeah. Where anyone who has a depression, often um, poor sleep or insomnia, difficulty sleeping is a part of um, that depression or depressive disorder. Yeah. And but at the same time, I think it's very important for people to know and keep in mind treating your sleep, right? Treating your insomnia, for example, and can can help you with your other like mood disorder treatment. So sleep still play a very significant role and relatively, I would say, easier to improve and manage. A lot of times the treatment is short term. CBT for insomnia, this treatment is relatively short term, right, compared to treatment for depression or anxiety. Absolutely. I think we do see good research showing the importance of being able to treat the sleep difficulties is an important component of treatment of depression. Yeah, and I uh, want to double check CBTI. This method works for teenagers as well, right? It it is it it does work for teenagers. I think that there's still room for other options for teenagers. So that's one way that can be that can be effective. I do think that because of again, that's the unique aspects of the teenager and what they're going through. Um, it would be nice to develop some other options too. And we know how even it's it's quite difficult to diagnose insomnia in adolescence because of those same uh, those normal changes that I was talking about, where it's typical for a teenager to go to bed later because of the shifting of their rhythms. And then it can be hard to distinguish the difference between the teenager who's not able to fall asleep because they, for their body clock, is just too early and they can't fall asleep. Or is it that they're having trouble falling asleep? Um, so do they have insomnia? And then even because so many teenagers are just not having enough opportunity to sleep because they have to get up early um, to go to school, then it can be tricky to determine one of the criteria for diagnosing insomnia is do you have an adequate opportunity to sleep? And it's they don't always have an adequate opportunity. And so I think sometimes parents or um, caregivers may dismiss some sleep problems of teenagers as being, well, this is just part of being a teenager and don't always pick up that, that they could actually be uh, an insomnia problem. Yeah. And possibly also there may be other sleep disorders in the picture as well like sleep apnea and other things could make the picture even more complicated. I'm glad you bring that up because it's always good to remember that there's other um, sleep problems. And while they um, are of low prevalence in the teenagers, they definitely are there. And um, that's actually another gender difference too, of course, is that uh, sleep apnea is more common in men than in women up until post-menopause. So starting post-menopause, um, sleep apnea, the prevalence of that does start to increase in women um, compared to their younger years. 
Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot more to explore within the sleep field. I'm very happy you are doing all this wonderful work and especially help us understand more about, you know, across life stage, uh, what sleep look like and especially what sleep look like among female, among women. I think all those are so important and to use the research, guide the clinical work, guide the daily life. It's very meaningful. Thank you. I, I I hope it can help us advance towards uh, like different options or just giving people more tools to to fix any sleep problems that they have, uh, whatever the the problem is. And I do think, uh, like we've spoken about in in teenagers or midlife women or, or whatever group we're looking at, there often are unique um, situations or factors where we would want to look at female sex versus the male sex or different genders and then um, try and understand the the sleep problems and how they are impacted or influenced by the the reproductive stage that we took it talking about for women and the different or unique experiences that the women may be experiencing depending on their age so uh, as as we look at young women of course, they are more likely to have just in the context of the reproductive cycle, so the menstrual cycle, a lot of women can have um, some of menstrual symptoms that can be disturbing their sleep. So maybe maybe about a quarter to a third of women will report that their sleep is disturbed around the time of menstruation each month. So it could be a few days leading up to their period and then during their period where they're not sleeping as well as other times. And they may also be sleepier during the day. And um, as with anything, there's the spectrum of how how bad that is. So for some women, it's um, they don't really notice any changes in sleep across their menstrual cycle. Some other women may just have some mild sleep problems, but um, for a group of women, their sleep disruption, along with their spectrum of other symptoms, whether it's mood symptoms, physical symptoms, um, can be quite disturbing and impact their quality of life. So definitely another important factor to consider. Right. So a lot of unique, uh, I think women are facing a lot of unique challenges with their health, their sleep in general. And I'm sure the intervention accordingly going to be slightly different, but there are also standard protocols out there can still benefit. I agree. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Baker, for sharing all this wonderful knowledge with us. And uh, feel free to share with me any of your research, your publications and and data. I'm happy to post it uh, on the show notes for everyone who are listening. They can check it out as well. Well, thank you so much. It's been such, um, it's been great talking with you and highlighting the topic that I love, which is, of course, sleep and sleep health. So if you are a parent, what is one thing you find most helpful from my conversation with Dr. Baker today? Leave me a message, let me know. You can also check out the sleep resources list I put together at deepintosleep.co slash resources. I'm Dr. Ishan. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? 
I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.